God, we thank you for the opportunity it is to come before you and to worship and to celebrate the way in which you came to earth, to reflect on the fact that you came to earth and prepare our hearts for that. Think on that, Lord, this morning. We pray that your spirit would be here in and among us, just challenging us on our need for a Savior and that you are that Savior. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today we're starting our uh, Advent series that we're calling Word Made Flesh. And uh, as you know from uh, our passage, our studies in John, uh, John 1 actually starts out this way. um, And I'm going to share just a little bit from that. I meant to be... next to that passage with my notes, but I didn't think about that before I had my coffee. Um, All right. So in John 1, you'll remember that, uh, that this is how the gospel of John starts. It says this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And as you know, as we've talked about this passage in the past, the word here that we're talking about is Jesus. You could literally replace word here with Jesus and say, in the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God, and Jesus was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Jesus. Jesus, and without Jesus was not anything made that was made, and in Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And later John continues on and says, The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, that is Jesus, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own. And his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in, the, in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of, the, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of any man, but of God. Continuing in verse 14 of John 1, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So for the next four weeks, we're going to be talking about this reality that we celebrate pretty often, really, that that God came to us in Jesus. That God himself stepped into earth in Jesus Christ. In this passage, we see that, again, Jesus was with God in the beginning, and, and Jesus not only was with him in some, uh, some sense as just another person, but Jesus, in fact, was by nature, was, in fact, God, is, in fact, God. All things were made through him. That's a lot of things. That's everything, <laughs> right? It's easy to just read past that and think, all things were made through him. Okay. No, like, made through him, made through him, 
even this crazy ceiling made through, <laughs> right? All things made through him. And our life is in him. He became flesh and dwelt among us. So we'll be looking at, over the next four weeks, uh, the expectation of Jesus coming. We're going to be looking at his birth itself. Uh, we'll be uh, reflecting on, um, uh, on, on the way in which he came over the coming weeks. And, and today what we're talking about specifically in our time together is expectation. There's an expectation that, that is there in the story of Jesus. And the expectation is this. That God is the Savior. God is the Savior. We are not the Savior, and we cannot save ourselves. God is the Savior. I think I'll start um, with this passage from Romans. It's a bit of a long passage. Romans three twenty to 26 says this, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law, although the law and prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus." whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. What is he saying there? We are all, according to the law and according to our own uh, uh, reflection on our lives, broken and need fixing. And that brokenness, that fallenness that is in us, it comes through one thing, not through us performing the law, not through us, that is, being better people or being more moral. Uh, That's never going to make up for all that we've done in the past. And in fact, we can't do it in the future. What is going to save us is faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus received by faith. God is always going to be the Savior. And I would say that as we look at the Old Testament and think on the Old Testament, what we see throughout it as well is this expectation that God is going to be the Savior. All throughout the, the, the great heroes of the Old Testament, we've seen many of them, uh, the story really unfolds that God is stepping in and God is saving people from their predicaments and, and from their own sin. <clears throat> it's an Old Testament pattern that we should expect God to come as Savior. From the very beginning, right? The fall of man. Adam and Eve sin in the garden. They're broken. They try to hide themselves from God as if that were possible. And God comes to them and, and what he ought to have done, what he could have done by, by mere what they deserved, 
was to end it right there. But instead, he takes an animal and sacrifices it and clothes them and reestablishes them as his uh, stewards of life on this earth. He says, yeah, it's going to be harder now because you're now broken. You've got this fallen condition, but I am restoring you. I am restoring you. And God even gives them a promise at that time that one will come from uh, the birth of this, uh, from the seed of this woman who will crush the evil one and bring salvation. That man is Jesus. As sin increased in the world, we saw that God came to one man named Noah and told him, believe me, Noah, I'm going to save you and your family. This is all you have to do. Even though no one has ever seen a boat or seen a rain as such that could flood the entire earth, that's what's going to happen. And so you should go ahead and build a boat big enough to take all these species up on into it and survive a deluge of water for days upon days upon days. A wooden boat covered in pitch. God stepped in and saved Noah. There was no way for Noah to have somehow had weather prediction technology and think, you know what, I should build the biggest boat possible and get as many animals on there. Because the only possibility of us living through this thing is getting this boat built in time for this humongous storm. He did not have that foresight. God stepped in and said, I see that you believe in me and I will save you. Build a boat. Abraham, in the same way, God makes a number of uh, appearances to Abraham and establishes a covenant with him. And in that covenant, he says that he is going to bless the nations of the earth. And to ratify this covenant with Abraham, he cuts animals in half and has, has, has Abraham set them side to side. And, and then as Abraham is uh, seeing this happen, he actually sees God pass through these cut in half animals. The symbolism of that is, and we've talked about it before, that, that God is saying, this covenant depends upon me. And if this covenant does not come to pass, then I should be cut in half as these animals that are here before you. God is the Savior. We see it even in Joseph, right? Joseph sold into slavery. He could have become bitter toward God. He could have not trusted him, but instead he did trust him, that God had a purpose in him being there in prison. Joseph didn't save himself. He simply was waiting on God to show up, and God did. He gave him an opportunity. God is the Savior, and and because Joseph was faithful in that, and because God came and saved Joseph out of the uh, the pit of Egypt, the jail there, multiple occasions, <clears throat> a people grew. A people that again needed saving through Moses. God stepped in and everything we see in the story of Moses is God stepping in and saving this people. In fact, one of our favorite Bible passages, right? We've talked about this, refers exactly to this. While, while they're in Israel, while they're in Exodus, 
There are many in the camp that betray the Lord. As they're in Exodus, uh, the Lord tells Moses to lift up a serpent in the wilderness because a, a great number of serpents have been sent into the camp to, uh, to bring judgment upon those who had disobeyed the Lord. And he says, lift up this serpent. Anyone who watches this serpent will be saved. And in John chapter, uh, chapter 3, right before our favorite verse, John 3.16, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. This picture of God saving is throughout the Old Testament. David, when his people were faced with Goliath, said, you know what? I don't care if this is the strongest man in the world. He is coming against our God. And I will take this little stone and I will throw it into his forehead and he will die because God is bigger than him. David's stone saved that man? No. God did. God stepped in. When the temple was destroyed and the walls were broken down, Nehemiah was in captivity and had the opportunity to serve King Cyrus and was serving there. And and as he was serving, uh, God gave him an opportunity to go before the king. And as he went before the king, he prayed to the Lord. It said he stopped and prayed as he went before the king and, and asked him, my people, their, their wall is broken and we have to restore it. Can I have basically all the resources to restore it, please, and protection from all of our enemies there? And he said, yes. Shouldn't have said yes. God saved them. And so we come to uh, a passage you talked about some at, at Bible study on, on Thursday, Daniel 9. And in this passage, we, we see again that God is saying that, that I am going to come and, and I am going to save. Daniel also was in captivity and, and as he was confessing the sins of the people of Israel and as he was confessing his own sins before the Lord, the Lord showed up to him and revealed something to him that was very powerful in chapter, uh, Daniel chapter 9, verses 20 and following. He says, While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sins of my people Israel and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, an angel, whom I had seen in a vision, at the first, came to me in swift flight and at the time of evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I have come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. And then for 62 weeks it shall be built again and square, with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the 62 weeks an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. 
and the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The vision that is given to Daniel is of Jesus that is coming. Listen to how it describes this one that is coming. I was about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness and seal both vision and prophet to anoint a most holy place. This is almost 500 years before Jesus shows up. And this anointed one that is to come is to be cut off and have nothing. The words there, the anointed one is to be killed and have no possessions. That's the description of it. Who fits that description? Jesus. We are in need of a Savior. God's people have always been in need of a Savior. Leading up to the time of Jesus, from the beginning until His coming, they were needing God to step in as Savior. And and as we see throughout all of the Old Testament, those who had faith in God to save are the ones who really knew who God was, who were really in relationship with one. They were the ones that understood it is God who is saving. We still mix that up. We still think, contrary to Romans 3, that it is by our own works and our own effort that we're going to save ourselves. That we're going to get ourselves out of the circumstances in which we find ourselves in. That we're going to be the ones that make ourselves more spiritual. But it is God who is our Savior. He is the one that is going to bring eternal righteousness. God's righteousness, and He is the only one that can do it for us. We talked about some on Thursday that as Daniel was given that vision, what was he doing? He was repenting. He was praying. He was recognizing. This is Daniel. This is like one of the most holy individuals we have seen in Scripture, and He is repenting of his sin and he is repenting on behalf of the people of Israel. If Daniel needed to spend time reflecting on his need for a savior, man, don't we all? Don't we all? Speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people and the Lord showed up and revealed to him something that was going to happen 500 years after him. When we think about prayer and we think about talking to the Lord, often we think about the Lord's Prayer. And the Lord's Prayer goes like this. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts 
as we have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I guarantee you that our normal um, setting is to focus on everything except for verse 12 (laughs) and forgive us our debts. We really like to pray the part, God, you are holy. Maybe sometimes uh, we like to pray that. We like to pray your kingdom come. You know, that's a popular portion of this prayer probably. We definitely like to pray, give us this day our daily bread. That's the one we definitely like to focus on that one. Uh, But forgive us our debts. Probably not often the focus of our prayers. I mean, I speak from experience. I often do not start there. And sometimes, sometimes, very often, I don't get there. The Lord gives us very simply what we ought to pray. Lord, you're holy. Lord, I want your kingdom here as it is in heaven. Lord, I trust you for my provision. Lord, forgive me. It's a recognition that we need God to save us. And this is exactly why Jesus came. He came because the world needs a Savior. He came because we need a Savior. So just a couple things to take away from this as we go. Um, We need a Savior. Again, Romans 3.23 For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. But all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. We are all in a broken condition. And the only way for this condition to be resolved is for God to step into our lives and save us. And he has done that as a gift in the Lord Jesus for all those who believe in him. We need a savior. (laughs) Second, this, as Christians, uh, especially those who do believe that Jesus is the savior, the only savior of the world, we have to continually live our lives dependent upon our savior. It is this humility and and recognition that we still need him continually in our lives to get us through whatever he's got us in. We still need him. It is this, this humble dependence upon him that is seen in our lives as we go through this world. The people around you are always watching you. You might not even have like conversations with them about it. But I guarantee you that you're being observed. <laughs> no, no other time in history are we so aware of being observed, uh, you know, like maybe through technology or cameras or, you know, what have you. But before that was even around, people see one another 
see where our hope lies. We see where our comfort comes from. And when you live in a humble dependence upon Jesus as Savior, we give the world a picture of where our peace comes from in life. As you're going through every situation and circumstance that you're in, are, are we trying to solve it on our own? Or are we trying to see what God would do through it? How God would save us in the midst of it. We need a Savior. And if we're going to show the world that they also need a Savior too, it has to be part of our lives continually as believers. Let us live our lives dependent upon Jesus, the Savior that has come. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you sent Jesus to save us. We thank you that God came in flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. Lord, we pray that you would be with us this day, that you would be with us throughout our days. May we live in complete dependence upon your grace, your mercy, and all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.